Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's your week been? It's been busy, Josh. How about you? Likewise. It's it's a crazy time. <laughs> it's a crazy time in the baseball world. Um, we saw quite a run the last couple days on free agents, so we'll get deep into that. Uh, plenty to talk about today between those free agent signings, a few trades, one of them pretty significant, and as well as some rumors and other general market musings that we'll get to um, at the end of this episode. So let's just jump into it. Let's not waste any time here. Uh, let's start out with the Yankees. They've been kind of in my. They've been running the off season as of late. It feels like um, they've been making all the big moves here, especially on the trade market. And this one, it might be one of their last ones. Uh, these, these two that we'll talk about today, they might be their last two. First, they acquired Jameson Tyon from the Pirates. And so this this had a couple days of buzz going into it. Uh, we've discussed previously how uh, the, the Yankees needed as much rotation depth as they could get, given the uncertainty that they had um, with guys like Kluber and Severino, who didn't pitch much the last couple seasons. Um, they were relying very heavily on them, so they needed a little bit more certainty. And so in response, they traded for a guy who hasn't really pitched in two years. <laughs> There's a solution. <laughs> uh, but it, while it might not have been a great solution as far as their depth, <laughs> reliability, innings totals, um, it was certainly a solution for their budget. Uh, they mm-hmm. were pushing up against the luxury tax with the LeMahieu and Kluber signings. And Tyone, who has two years of control left, he comes in uh, pretty pretty cheap, pretty affordable contract. He's only earning $2.25 million for 2021. He'll get a modest raise on that uh, for 2022, but unlikely he goes anywhere above six seven eight mil unless yeah. he just goes absolutely bonkers in 2021 um but anyway the full trade here uh we had tie on at 16.3 million in trade value so he heads to the yankees and in exchange they sent back outfielder cannon smith 7.6 million uh two right-handed pitchers miguel yahure 5.4 million and Ronzi Contreras 4.8 million and infielder Michael Escado 4.0 million. So we had that as a slight overpay by New York. Uh, their side of the deal totaled 28 21.8 million uh, compared to 16.3 for the Pirates with just Tyone. Uh, but we it's still accepted by our model and it seems well within the range. Um, as yeah. you pointed out, they have <laughs> the Yankees have plenty of prospects in that kind of mid-tier range. Um, the non-elite, maybe like the B, B-minus type prospects um, in that $4 million to $7 million prospect value range. And so they are they have plenty of room to deal there. They also uh, freed up two spots on their 40-man roster through this trade, uh, through Yahure and Contreras, who are both uh, early 20s pitchers who weren't aren't quite major league ready. They, they could be for a team like the Pirates where they're not going to expect much out of them at the big league level. For the Yankees, they wouldn't have been. And they were just kind of, they were going to be on that 40-man clogging up a couple spots for the next couple of years. And immediately the, the Yankees needed to open up two spots for Kluber and LeMahieu. And with acquiring Tyone, they needed a third. <clears throat> so right. clears the two yeah. of them off the roster. Um, kind of lumps together some of these mid-range prospects that they have plenty of in their system and also works well toward their luxury tax goals. So it seems like makes perfect sense for them. Exactly. And I think the Pirates were able to leverage the fact that, well, they knew New York needed to take a couple of guys off the 40. And um, and they were promising prospects, you know, to your point, 
um, they only, you know, or they're still young, high A-ish, but they, they had added them to the 40 to protect them. But now they, once, once they've done that, now they're stuck with 40-man roster crunch. So in effect, they become trade capital. And Pittsburgh knew this. And I think the quality of the return is better because of it. <clears throat> because they knew they could leverage, squeeze a little bit more out of the Yankees because they knew they had to get rid of a couple guys. So I, I think it's a good return for, for Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, there's a lot of risk with uh, Tyone. Obviously, when he's healthy, he's been very successful. He was a former number two overall pick, you know, really high upside. But look, you know, I looked at the, the track record of guys coming off of, you know, second time Tommy John surgery, it is not good, you know, and usually they lose velocity. They, they take a while to come back, you know, a couple of years ago, Jared Parker, had, uh, Jared Parker, of the A's, his arm almost fell off when he tried to come back yeah. again, you know, it was horrible. And, you know, guys like Chris Capuano were sort of shadows of their former selves. You know, it's like, it's not a good track record. And then you got to figure he hasn't pitched much in two years. And so he's going to have a sort of a slow runway. So if they get anything out of him at all this year, it's going to be kind of, he's rough. He's like, okay, let's see what we can get. And then maybe next year they get a little bit more out of him. So all of that sort of weighed down his trade value, you know, and the fact that he's only got two years of control. So hopefully the Yankees get something out of it for their sake, you know, and, and he comes and he finally gets gets ready. But typically, even coming after one Tommy John surgery, your first year back, you're kind of rusty. You don't really feel it again until like the second year you start to get your old self back. So you know, I think it's a big risk for the Yankees, but the Pirates got a good return. It kind of makes up for the Musgrove trade. Yeah, um, that that Parker comparison is a pretty scary one. Um, to to those listeners who necessarily uh, might not have followed that story as closely, uh, it's not a very huge of an exaggeration to say, as as John said, uh, that his arm almost fell off. That's that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty right on to what it happened there. It was scary. It was really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and you'd obviously hate to see something like that happen here with another even and even a bigger talent here in Tyone. Um, but I think I think you're hitting the nail right on the head there that the bulk of his value is likely to come next season and I think the Yankees are fine with that. I think they understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at this point anything that he can give them in 2021 is going to be a huge plus given the limitations of the rest of the rotation. Uh, present there they don't have they really don't have anyone other than Garrett Cole where you can look at them and say like yeah this guy's giving me 150 innings and that's just 150 innings like yeah it's going to be as it stands right now baseball politics aside (laughs) it's going to be a full 162 game season you're going to need a handful of innings here yeah Cole can't throw all that many They'll be mixing and matching quite a bit with all these guys between Kluber and Tyone and, uh, you know, Domingo Ron's coming back and uh, Severino's going to come back at some point. And then you got the depth guys, David Garcia and Clark Schmidt will probably get some work. You do have Jordan Jordan Montgomery, who, you know, um, it was also a Tommy John survivor, um, but he's already he's sort of found his legs last year. And I think he's on the upswing and he's he's he's. He's looking surprisingly good. Projection systems really like him, and he has some trade value as a result. But, I mean, he's probably going to be their second most reliable pitcher in the long run. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's underrated, but a, a rotation on on the backs of an ace in Garrett Cole, and, hey, there's this kind of underrated guy who also has a legitimate injury history here in Montgomery. Yeah. Scary. But they've got a whole lot of upside behind the two of them in Kluber, Herman, Severino, and now Tyone. So you, you figure it, it obviously doesn't work this way, but you figure at least one of those guys has to click and do a little yeah. bit of something for you. 
And if the other guys are even just kind of mid to back end guys with the Yankees lineup, that's all they really need. Yeah, and they're probably going to work it such that they they get them to peak. I mean, typically the Yankees obviously plan for October, right? So you're going to want these guys, if they have any sort of contribution to make it all with their upside, you're going to want a Kluber and a Tyone in October, right? So you're not going to burn them out too early either. So they're kind of going to space them out and take them very carefully up until that point. And they have Clark Schmidt and Davey Garcia in the wings, those two. Yeah. Obviously plenty of upside there, completely unproven, but if they need innings out of them, they're going to – they those two have a chance to give them above average innings as well. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a good trade. I think it was a win-win, which we don't, I don't like that term to use very often, but this one, I think, I think you can make a case that it was. Yeah, I think from the Pirates' return, um, this just continues on this trend that they've had of they're going a little bit younger with their targets. They're, they're targeting kind of uh, what we talked about in the last couple of episodes with the Hudson Head types is they're, they're targeting the next big prospect. Um, and so Yajure and I'm, I'm not going to know how to pronounce that Yajure, Yajure <laughs> and Ronzi Contreras, uh, those two, both on the 40 man, as I mentioned, they kind of profile according to Eric Long and Hagen of fan graphs as more back end types, um, with maybe a little bit of upside for more. Um, and if that's what the pirates get out of them, they'll be ecstatic. And then Escado and Smith are both just physical monsters. <laughs> um, Escado is a younger, uh, teenage infielder. Smith is early 20s outfielder, both with big physicality, big power. They could mm-hmm. really develop into something special. Yep. Um, and they're kind of a little bit on the rise, the two of them, a little bit of helium for both. So Now, <clears throat> one point here is we our numbers show Smith was the most valuable of those four prospects. And the reason for that is because, um, you know, the two position players – Position players generally are rated slightly higher, so if they're both 40s or 45s in the 20 to 80 scale, position players will slightly have more value because they have less injury risk. Pitchers obviously have a lot of injury risk. So Yajure and Contreras may be ranked about the same in terms of quality, but um, because of that injury risk factor, they'll be a little less in trade value than, than a guy like Smith who's about the same in terms of ranking as well. Right, right. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so there's that one. Tyon is a Yankee now, and he gets reunited with former teammate Garrett Cole. Almost forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Yankees did make a, a semi-corresponding move here. Um, again, clearing a 40-man space, clearing some luxury tax money. They traded Adam Ottavino to the Red Sox. Um, Ottavino, underwater contract. He had, in, in a way, he had struggles in 2020, and in a way, he didn't. It was really this one horrible inning in Buffalo mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. the Buffalo Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we had his value at negative 5.3 million. They also sent along pitching prospect Frank Herman, who we had at 1.0 million and 850,000 cash to the Red Sox for a player to be named later or cash considerations. So that return is unknown. It's not likely to be anything of note whatsoever. This is a pure mm-hmm. salary dump in that um, uh, the Zach Cozart and Will Wilson, that was his name? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, Zach Cozart, Will Wilson trade from the Angels to the Giants from a year or two back. Um, Yankees just getting out from this Ottavino contract, and Boston has little payroll room. They needed some relief help, and Ottavino has a pretty solid track record, so they're they're getting a solid reliever, albeit slightly overpaid one, and an interesting little prospect. Now it's yeah. costing them a little bit of money. <clears throat> That's right, and, um, you know, 
this one I think made a lot of sense. You know, we put it up as a feature trade and seemed to get a lot of likes. Everybody sort of understood the sort of strategy behind it. New York had to clear a roster spot and clear some money. I think they want to sign uh, Gardner again, and they just today signed Darren O'Day so to replace Ottavino. So they're just trying to make the most of what they can to stay under the, the luxury tax cap. Um, and I'll be, and uh, the Red Sox have a little money room, wiggle room to play with in their budget, so it's fine. They need really help, and they wanted to try to buy a prospect, so they got Herman. So it's unusual for these two staunch rivals to make a deal with each other, and that got some play in the media. But it makes perfect makes perfect sense logically. So right. um, you know. Especially it's, yeah, it's been a whole off season of the Red Sox just missing out on free agent targets. Uh, Chris Cotillo, uh, he's been battling Red Sox fans all off season. It feels like where he's, he continues to report they have interest in this free agent and this free agent. And then as soon as one of them signs, he says, oh, they had real strong interest. They were the runners up. <laughs> I feel bad for him. I feel bad for Red Sox fans here. They, they've uh, just missing out on so many guys. So they say, hey, if I can't sign one of these guys, why not just trade them? So yeah, I mean, matters be, into their own hands. And, and you wonder if maybe they should, the Red Sox management behind Bloom could be a little bit more communicative to the fans and say, look, we're not going all in this year. We're not right. ready for that, right? You know, so don't expect us to make huge moves. We're just making little ones here and there just so we can kind of get a representative product while we're rebuilding. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, it's very Heim Bloom, um, uh, Billy Bean esque to, to kind of have an eye on everyone, you know, you're, you're yeah. checking in on everyone's market to see if anybody's market, uh, you're not necessarily intending to sign all 12 of these guys, but you're uh, keeping an eye on everybody's market to see if there is a potential for a bargain anywhere. And so that seems like a lot of what he's doing and he's not willing to budge above his price point. And so he has plan A, plan B, C, D, E, E, F, G, whatever. And uh, <laughs> stumbled upon this one as yeah. their decided course of action here. So, they, they still might have more in the tank as well with Jackie Bradley Jr. still on the market. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. And then our final trade of the week, the Reds acquired CNL Perez, left-handed pitcher. We had at $0.4 million in trade value from the Astros, sent back catcher Luke Berryhill at $0.2 million. Blockbuster. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Perez actually had some helium a couple of years ago when he was signed, um, but he hasn't really amounted to much. And, you know, he sort of turned into sort of a middle reliever. You know, maybe maybe there's still some upside there. Barry Hill, not a prospect, which is why we had him at 0 0.2. He's just a guy, I think. No, no offense to Barry Hill, but uh, <laughs> he hasn't been on any prospect list. So it's a fair deal in our model. Yeah, for the Astros, clears up the 40-man space, adds some catching depth, always helps. Yeah. Um, and the Reds are really just trying to do everything they can to put together something remotely competitive which isn't that difficult in the nl central this year um, something remotely competitive that's not going to cost a whole lot and so perez if they can get some league average relief innings out of him they'll take that for sure he's on league minimum and they're cornering the market on perez's <laughs> correct <laughs> correct they had also picked up uh, hector perez from the blue jays earlier yes um, he got he got cut loose from toronto by toronto to make room for springer and yes, and this is, is the old big red machine who had uh, Tony Perez back in the day. So <laughs> they love Perez's. <laughs> right, that's what this is about. Look out, Salvador. <laughs> okay, now we're going to head into the free agent signings. There were a ton of these, and we're going to kind of group them together based on position and size and all that good stuff. So we're going to start out with the big one. Uh, another huge domino has fallen on the, on the free agent market. JT Romuto heading back to the Phillies. 
what an what an off season saga in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. It went from it went from oh we're not we don't have enough money to bring back Real Muto and we might have to trade Zach Wheeler too to get our budgets in line because we just lost so much money last season. Two billion. Yes. Nah. <laughs> and then suddenly it's just kidding. We're gonna spend twenty million dollars on Dave Dombrowski. <laughs> And then Dave Dombrowski says, "Okay, we're bringing Real Muto back." So it took it took a little while to actually get get Real Muto to sign on the dotted line, but uh, two sides are re- reunited here. Uh, Five-year, 115.5 million dollar deal for Real Muto. It's the largest ever given to a catcher, largest average annual value for a catcher by just a very slight margin. Um, it's 21, 23.1 million, and the previous record was Joe Maurer at 23 million flat. So. Uh, sorry, excuse me, for clarification, it's the largest free agent deal for any catcher. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you if you look at Real Muto, his track record, the type of player he is, the type of athlete he is, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, so one, I'm going to get really nitpicky and apologize for it, but, um, you know, I, I think there was a sort of a concession made to Real Muto and or his agent to say, okay, we'll make that point. 23.1 just to get you over the line so you can say you had the biggest AAV 100%. ever for a contract just to 100%. get you over the line yeah it was like it's an ego thing I'm sure um, like yes I got it but in reality um, when you do the net present value of it it's actually not as much because they deferred that t- uh, tw- 10 million of, of the 2021 salary to like six years from now so you calculate that and you work out the math it's actually lower uh, but we don't need to tell anybody that but that's just for <laughs> math nerds right um, so it's not as much as you might think it's just, it just affects it a little bit it's also interesting though that they they did want to do that for budget reasons and you know it's hard to say which way they're coming or going to your earlier point but they did you know work it out with him that he's only getting paid 10 million in 2021 so which means leads me to think that they are being very sort of picky with with money like they really wanted him but you know they're thinking okay we'll probably be okay in 2022 but we're still like really pinching pennies in 2021 which makes you wonder if they're going to fill any other holes after this so right that that's an indicator to me Right, they they remain in talks with Didi Gregorius. We'll get to that a little bit more later. Um, and it seems like their plan, Dombrowski's plan for this off season, is is sort of what I had suggested on a couple episodes back, where it's just let's bring back the same team and just give it a league average at at least bullpen and see what happens. <laughs> and yeah, it could work. I don't think it's likely to, given just the level of competition in the NL East. It's it's NL East is the opposite of the NL Central in, in every way. <laughs> NL East, everyone's going for it. There's some real powerhouses there. Yeah. I don't know if the Phillies can keep pace by just bringing back Real Mudo Gregorius and a couple fringe-ish <laughs> relievers. You, you basically have the same team you had last year where you yeah. didn't didn't do all that well. So Yeah. yeah. And, a, and a bullpen <clears throat> is not going to add 10, 20 wins. <laughs> yeah, right. So... It, it, regardless, it's a good. It's always a good move when you sign a player like Real Muto. He's he's the best catcher in the sport. Yeah, almost undoubtedly. And it was uh, okay. And I have to say, from a valuation perspective, it's a, just a slight overpay. Um, we have his eight a field value at one eleven over those five years. So you know, it's it's right in the range with there. the deferred money and the with and the, the yeah, after, value. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So they're all, they're overpaid by about. 
three, four million. So. And, and additionally, there's seems like at least a decent chance here that Real Muto ages better than your average catcher. And I know everybody's quick to every time something like this happens, they say, "Oh, here's the reason this guy is going to age better than the <laughs> than the average player at his position," and it usually doesn't happen. But Real Muto mm-hmm. is legitimately a very athletic catcher. He's got legitimate speed. Um, yep. I, if if there's anyone who's going to kind of fight the catcher aging curve and potentially win it's going to be him i agree and there are there are a couple who have done that uh, molina comes to mind Salvador perez so far is on that track as well you know most of the time the catchers sort of are late bloomers and they're really good in their late 20s but then they sort of fall off the map in their 30s and so that's been yeah. a knock on them um so but yeah i agree his sprint speed is i think top of the list in terms of catchers and mm-hmm. it's always an indicator of athleticism to your point so right. it gives them a better chance Right. This is the sort of thing where if, if he wasn't a catcher, maybe it's a seven, eight-year deal, just given his talent, his age, mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. Um, catching, they're just never going to give them as many years. Yeah. Um, but he, even even on just a five-year deal, he might be he might remain productive through that fifth year. Yeah. Okay. Next, there was a huge run this week on middle infielders. And so... We had Marcus Simeon to the Blue Jays. We had Angelton Simmons to the Twins. Tommy LaStella to the Giants. Jerickson Profar back to the Padres. Enrique Hernandez to the Red Sox. Cesar Hernandez back to the Indians. Freddie Galvis to the Orioles. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's start with Simeon here. Uh, he, he received the largest uh, one-year guarantee. Uh, we still haven't heard uh, the reported figures for Tommy LaStella. Um, he received... Semyon received one year, $18 million. It's essentially the qualifying offer. Um, I thought this was curious that both Semyon and Simmons, who took one year, $10.5 million from the Twins, thought it was curious that they both opted for one-year deals. I know I know they both had kind of down offensive years in 2020, and they're kind of betting on themselves, but the free agent market for shortstops is going to be flooded next offseason. It's curious that they're choosing to test their luck on that one. Well, but um, takes you to tango. It may not have been their choice. That may have right. been all they they got, frankly. Right. right. And you know, so in Simeon's case, he was a weird one to model because you know you've got that really big outliner in 2019 where he finished third in the annual MVP voting and fantastic year, seven more year. And then sort of the other years, he's sort of yeah, he's a good but not great player. And so like, which one are you getting? That's point number one. Point number two is he's 30 this year. And usually you don't see a lot of over 30 shortstops, which is why, you know, we, we saw that the Blue Jays said he's going to be their second baseman and you can age a second baseman a little bit better into, into their thirties. Um, he's never been super great defensively. He's always had the benefit of playing next to Chapman and throwing to Olsen. We've sort of covered a lot of his, his, I wouldn't say flaws, but, but, you know, he's not like in Simmons in terms of defense, you know, so you, you got to figure that's going to decline a little bit if they, if he were to stick at shortstop as well. So for all those reasons, I think he got second base money and not shortstop money. Yeah. And also, which is why, because he was such a weird case that no one wanted to give him multi-year because you're not really sure what you're getting. So, but there you, for one year it's in Toronto's got some money. Okay. It's worth a gamble and they needed an, an extra infielder. So let's see what happens. Yeah, this gives the Blue Jays plenty of flexibility on the infield. You said Simeon at second base, Bichette at shortstop. They can both play pretty much every infield position. Biggio can play every infield position and the outfield. Mm-hmm. Vlad Guerrero can play first or third. Simeon, even if you squint, if you need him in left field for an emergency, he can run out there. Um, plenty of flexibility there. I, I do agree Simeon really got second base type money here. 
and he's has had such a bizarre career where it seems like every season he's been about a somewhere between a one and a half two and a half three win player in that range um <laughs> then he just has this bonkers mvp or breakout and of course has to follow it up with a 60 game 2020 <laughs> where it really just seemed like he didn't get going until five games of playoffs yeah and he, you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna make too much out of just that small playoff sample size um so i think one year 18 million is pretty it's a pretty safe deal there's the old adage that there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal um, yeah and and, and it sorry yeah, i just want to say it's fair in our model um we have him at 19 and i have more to say on that when we talk about uh cesar hernandez but sorry finish your thought yeah just that it's it's a pretty there's no risk here really i mean at worst and you're shifting his glove from shortstop to second base where you made a good point there with Chapman and Olsen there on the infield with him kind of making up for some of his mistakes. He's no, he's in no way as a flashy, great gold glove defensive shortstop. Um, defensive metrics don't really know what to do with him because he has <laughs> the best defensive third baseman in the game standing yeah. right next to him, covering a lot of ground and all that. Um, but you figure he'll be at least an average, if not above average second baseman. And so yeah. you figure that's a pretty safe, even if the bat is just what it was before 2019, it's a pretty safe two-win player. and 18 million for that, yeah. With, when you factor in the upside that he could be a lot more than that, sure. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump in and make my point about second baseman. Second baseman, the market for them. I mean, the the. Okay, so the dollar per WAR typically, you know, in the aggregate sense, is fairly consistent, but with some positional adjustments. But second base has been trending down in terms of dollars per war for years. And this year, so far, it's been even further down with the Wong, you know, option decline. And now with the Cesar Hernandez money and now with the Semyon being paid basically second base money in our modeling and our calculations, like, whoa, second baseman are it's just it's 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 like a 40 percent haircut <clears throat> based on the normal dollars per war. And so what's and, and there are theories about this. What's happening is, you know, first of all, you've got a lot of the market's always flooded. There's always more supply than demand because you've got a lot of sort of guys who used to be shortstops like Semyon who are sort of transitioning over to second base. You've always got those competing with younger, cheaper guys. And then there's always a flood of older guys. Your Cesar Hernandez says in previous years it was Jason Kipnis and you know, Brian Dozier, and there's always guys like, so there's always way too many second basemen to choose from, and so the market always drives them down because of that. Uh, but it's also, I think, because you can kind of hide a bat there, because it's not as demanding a position defensively. And then, you know, with the prevalence of the shift, you know, you got you know, you got a lot more coverage. And so there's less and less demand defensively on second basemen. And we've also seen in parallel guys who are, you know, gold glove second baseman, Gilmer Sanchez a year ago was non-tendered by the White Sox, even after he won a gold glove. So, and then Colton Wong, three-time gold glove winner, can't get a deal this year. So, you know, defensive second base is, that's what's created, the value of a defensive second baseman. Um, so it's, it's become kind of an offensive position. And, you know, we saw LeMahieu there a couple of years ago, we saw Daniel Murphy there, even though he couldn't barely play there, you know, because they just wanted his bat. So you're throwing a bat out there, basically, yeah. is what's happening. Yeah. And Hernandez, another one there who won a gold glove and really had to settle for pennies. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. he, gets, he gets $5 million. Um, Yeah. And I, th I think that's a great point there about the shift, um, is that the Blue Jays, part of why they know that 
Marcus Simeon can handle second base is because he was standing essentially where a second baseman stands right. so often for the A's in that deep overshift there where he just goes into shallow right field. And he was perfectly fine there. I mean, he was he was an above-average defender in that shift, I, I believe. So mm-hmm. plenty safe playing him at second base full-time. Um, on that note of second baseman, though, and I don't know how much we can say about this because we don't know the specific contract terms. The Giants gave Tommy LaStella three years. Yeah. And that's curious to me. Um, MLB Trade Rumors notes that it's the longest deal Farhan Zaidi's handed out since joining the Giants. Um, LaStella's a little bit older as well. I think this will be his age 32 season. And he doesn't have as much of a reliable track record he really had this 2019 breakout where he started to hit for a little bit of power put some put some oomph behind his contact mm-hmm. rates mm-hmm. and then last year he had this incredible short season where he walked twice as much as he struck out and he was just a great table setter for both the angels and the a's um but three years we'll have to so, wait and see the dollar value. it really depends on the money yeah and yeah. you know with that it's you know typically the longer the contract is you know, it squishes down the, the AAV, right? So I'm guessing the AAV is going to be on the lower side. You know, a lot of people were thinking like 214 for him, maybe 212. If you go three, it's probably going to be somewhere in the 318, maybe down to 315 because he's getting a little bit older. But they basically just wanted his bat. I'm just guessing there. But based yeah. on the patterns we're seeing with the haircuts that second basemen typically take with the Cesar Hernandez. Cesar Hernandez had a really good year last year. And he was making what six million last year, and now he takes a discount to five. I know he's getting right. a year older, but but you would think that would have earned him a little bit of a raise. But no, it's just second base is such a terrible market that he even had to take a discount. So it's yeah, I don't expect Lestella to break the bank in terms of money. I think it's just you know mm-hmm. they they liked his bat and they wanted to keep him around. Yeah, and he's also signing with the team who signed Tony Watson to that really weird oddly constructed yeah. contract. So maybe there's something else weird going on like that with Zaidi. Zaidi um, also got a bargain in Wilmer Flores a couple years ago. It should be known. Right. He's another one of these guys who can hit, not great defensively, um, but his bat plays and they can stow him wherever and put him in second. And another one of these guys. And by the way, you know, Lestella's a lefty and, <clears throat> and, and Wilmer's a righty. So there may be a platoon thing going on there. We'll see. Definitely possible. Um, Let's, let's circle back now to Andrelton Simmons. As I mentioned, he goes to the Twins one year, $10.5 million. Um, it seemed like from the very start of the offseason, uh, kind of an under undercovered, underrated story, at least outside of Minnesota, was the Twins' desire to get a real shortstop. Um, they've had Jorge Polanco there for the past few years, and he's been fine. His glove hasn't been incredible, and he had a really poor offensive season in 2020. He was battling an injury all season, apparently. Um, and didn't didn't get that addressed until after the playoffs. And so they get their shortstop now. They get Simmons. Talk, just think for a second about Simmons at shortstop and Buxton in center field. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Um, but Polanco shifts over to second base. Luis Arias will be kind of their utility guy. Um, it, it's it's an example here of the kind of off-season musical chairs that isn't necessarily as simple as just a game of musical chairs where, hey, there's six teams that just lost a shortstop in free agency and they're all going to kind of, this one's going to go here, this one's going to go there, and everyone's going to get a shortstop when we're all yeah, said and done. Right, right. No, because there's teams like this who have a shortstop who decide, well, we, we think he'd be better off at second base, and so yeah. they grab one. Or 
a team like the Blue Jays who says, hey, we think this shortstop would be better at second base, so they take a shortstop off the board that way. Or the Orioles, who, yeah, they had Jose Iglesias, who was a very obvious trade candidate. They trade him, and rather than just go with whatever they find off the scrap heap at shortstop or whatever mm-hmm. young player they want to give an opportunity, they sign Freddie Galvis to a cheap deal. Uh, he gets $1.5 million over one year for them. And so that's kind of how we're sitting. We are where we are right now, where teams like the Reds, the Phillies, the A's, they're all left without a true shortstop. And the only one that's really left on the market is Didi Gregorius. Yeah. Who's going to be, <clears throat> who wants more money than these teams have? Yes. So there's kind of a stalemate here, I think. That's why he's still the last, last one standing on the board. Let me circle back to Andrelton Simmons. for. I just right. want to make two points here. Um, on his valuation, it's pretty close. We have his fair value at 9.9, call it 10, rounding up, and he signed for 10.5. So that's very much in the ballpark, and so that's good. Um, but it's it's following up on my previous point about hiding a bat at second base. Polanco has been at or near the bottom of defensive metrics for the last couple of years. Out so much average comes to mind. You know, it's well known that, you know, he's a bad shortstop basically defensively, but he's got a great bat. That's what's been carrying his value. So here again, you move a bat over to second base. And I think it's great in terms of balance for the twins because they've been known as kind of a hitting machine. It's all offense for them lately. Um, But to your point, you know, they've got, Great defense at short, great defense in center, and now they're going to be a very balanced team. There's something to reckon with there, so they could easily be the favorites uh, to push the White Sox. Well, maybe that's saying too because White Sox are very strong now, but that's going to be a two-horse race, I think, in the AL Central. Uh, so good yeah. move for them. <clears throat> um, yeah, but definitely. Yeah. But, but yeah, so the musical chairs game at shortstop. So now you've got the Reds, the Phillies, and the A's without an obvious shortstop solution and you've got Didi, who's too expensive for all because all three of these teams have basically said um well the reds and the a's in particular have said we don't have any money um the reds have been trying to unload money all year the a's have done nothing they they and then they've been telling agents that they have no money and the phillies just signed rio muto and i don't know if they have any money left because we just said they had to move 10 of that and 10 of his 20 over to a deferred situation so who knows with if Didi's going to get any market at all uh, unless he really takes a discount and so then the question becomes, what are these other, what are these teams going to do to fill those gaps? And so you look at trade candidates, and we can talk about those. Um, so there may be some activity coming with with a couple of those teams just to try to fill those holes. Yeah, let's let's dive into that. So the the top middle infielders left on the free agent market are Gregorius, as as you mentioned, and Colton Wong. Um, they're both projected for about about two wins uh, by Fangraphs, and then there's a handful of others in that 0.5 to one win range: uh, Jonathan Scope, Marwin Gonzalez, Hanser Alberto, Jonathan Villar, Estrubel Cabrera. And you figure, okay, a couple of those guys can find a home as either on a minor league deal or on one of those one-year million, one-year million, 1.5 million type deals, something like that. Um, but the only true shortstop of that bunch is Gregorius. I mean, you can you can yeah. fake it with VR. You can fake yeah. it with Gonzalez, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but this is this is what I was saying earlier. This happens every year. A couple of years ago, it was Kipnis and Dozier and these guys that are yep. sort of, you know, veterans sort of on their over over thirty who are sort of looking for a gig, you know, and they're and the market's flooded with them. And this is this is yet again. This just happens to be this year's crop. But to your point, I don't think any of them are shortstops. True, and and you yeah. could probably fake it, but but yeah. So I think you might be looking at you know, and also because these teams that need them are budget conscious, they're not going to spend a lot in dollar terms. 
So, you know, Mike Puma of the New York Post just, just posited that Domed Rosario, who was traded from the Mets to the Indians earlier in the Lindor trade, may be superfluous for the Indians because they could just roll with uh, Jimenez there as their main shortstop, which is what the Mets did last year. Maybe yeah. Rosario can be floated on the market and find out with one of those guys. His trade value, by the way, has gone up a little bit since we published that Lindor trade. And the reason is um, the uh, he accepted a lower uh, salary and he's in his, you know, he's got three years of control, I believe, but because he took that lower salary, it's also going to, as we've said earlier in podcasts, it's going to impact his future salaries because it sets a precedent at a lower level, which means his surplus has gone up a little bit. So now I think we had him at 4.7 or something. Now he's at like 6.2 or so. So anyway, that's about what he would cost in trade is based on our estimate. So maybe some something there, although he's had some de- defensive questions. I also suggested maybe Orlando Arcia and the Brewers. They could move Luis Urias into shortstop. They've been shopping for a third baseman, a true third baseman. So maybe there's something there. Um, the Rays are flooded with middle infielders. Maybe a guy like Taylor Walls, who's been at the AAA level, but kind of knocking at the door. Maybe then we'll be ready. Maybe he could be a, an option in trade for a, a team like the A's or the Reds. You know, and I've seen some stories today, you know, floating around other ones, sort of more obvious candidates like Trevor Story. Who knows what the Rockies are going to do with him? They obviously should trade him, but he would cost a lot in both prospects and money. I don't yeah. see either team doing that. Willie Adamas is fine in terms of money, but he would cost more in prospects. That's a, that's a big question. Nick Ahmed, he's set to make $25 million over the next three years. He's another one of these guys who's great glove, average at, bat, at, at best. I don't see these teams forking out that money for him, so he's got negative value, and I think that may be tough. So it's not a pretty picture, you know? And then you go, like, the Pirates have a couple of guys, but they're not really shortstops either, you know? Cole Tucker, they've been playing him in center field. Like, and he hasn't really done well. Like, there's, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. There's not yeah. much going on here. Yes. So, just looking at, at our values, I have, I have all our major league shortstops listed by value. You got this bunch at the top not going anywhere the Tatis, Bichette, Torres, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim Anderson, Trey Turner, Corey Seeger. Then you get into Adamas, Story, Polanco. And I think Adamas, like, I'm, I'm never going to say never with the Rays yeah. because, as you mentioned, they're very deep on the middle infield and they're always looking for ways to maximize value. So Adamus is a maybe. <laughs> I don't think it's likely, but it's a maybe. Yeah. Story, you mentioned how difficult that is, even if the Rockies were acting rationally and they're not. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's still a very difficult player to trade right now, especially since it seems like they kind of missed their window on that. It seemed like their best bet there was talking to the Yankees. Yeah. Um, it seems like they missed out on that. Yeah. I think Polanco is interesting to see if another team will bet on him at shortstop. Um, he's on a relatively affordable contract. He's only 27. He's been in the league since he was like a teenager, practically. Mm-hmm. Um, we have him at 32.8 million, so he could he could bring a significant pitcher back to um, to yeah. the Twins. You wonder if there's a framework there for Polanco for Sonny Gray or something like that. Yeah, the Reds could could possibly do that in trade capital. I don't see the A's doing that, though, because right, they're, right. they're pretty barren on the farm. They don't really have many trade assets either. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, and then there's another run of guys here that aren't going anywhere. Lindor, Jazz Chisholm, Jake Cronenworth, Andres Jimenez. Um, J.P. Crawford's a little interesting. He's also but, probably a type the Mariners would hang on to, given his exactly. upside. I've uh, seen his name floated, but I don't understand why, because I, I think he's pretty settled in. I think they like him up there, so why why would they trade him? Right. A um, couple other names. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi, I believe he's Adal- 
Yeah, Adalberto now. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. switched from Raul a few years back. Yeah. Um, he's not very good. <laughs> he's young. He's very he's got streaky. A little, a little upside. Yeah. And, and well, he's 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 got a lot of swing and miss. He doesn't yeah. take walks. Um, and he was absolutely terrible the first two months of 2020. And then suddenly he 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 got on fire in the second the last bit. Um, you know, so it, that helped kind of rescue his season. So you know quite know what you're getting with him and i the royals generally like to hold on to their guys i think they like yeah. him you know so they're gonna give yeah. him a shot yeah for sure and then javier baez seems like an obvious one yeah but that's another money situation where yeah. which of these teams is going to take on 12 million dollar contract right now if and if he's the got a's some surplus going to, yeah. if the a's weren't going to come close to 18 million to bring back their guy their hometown guy why are they going to spend 12 on Baez plus as you mentioned there's another uh, 12 or so there of surplus value that they would have to cover with prospects and I don't think yeah. they're willing to do that yeah uh, I mean of those guys Adama seems like the one most likely to be moved just because the Rays know they have Wander Franco coming and they've got Taylor Walls knocking on the door and they've got you know Xavier Edwards and Zach, you know like where are they going to put all these guys right and it's their thing to kind of you know cycle through guys once they've had a couple of years of service so he sort of fits the the narrative of okay he's probably a trade candidate for the rays but he's got some serious trade value so it, right and we just said the a's don't have the capital for it so maybe the reds but the reds would have to trade i mean like are they going for it or are they not going for it yeah like you know it, it would be cutting off your nose to spite your face if they trade sunny gray for him so like you know are they going to trade prospects but the the Rays are number one team in terms of the best prospect, the best farm system in baseball. They don't need pro so like, I don't know if there's a match there either. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and then <laughs> there's just this big, big clump here of either mediocre players or veterans on like kind of one-year deals. Um, Arcia's in this bunch, kind of some of these like post-prospect guys who never lived up to their hype and just have a little bit of value left. Yeah. The one name that jumps out to me from this group is uh, Miguel Rojas. Uh, but he's really the Marlins kind of team leader. Yeah. They're going for it. He right. would be a very attractive trade candidate. He's on an affordable contract. He's right. a pretty solid player. He would make a lot of sense for these teams, but I don't think the Marlins are looking to move him right now, given some right. of the other moves they've made. <clears throat> then you've got this big group of DFA fodder type guys. And then you get into, I think, four that are at least a little bit interesting here in the underwater contracts. Uh, you mentioned Ahmed. We have him at negative 7.6. There's also Brandon Crawford at negative 6.6. Six. There's Gene Segura at negative 8.1. And Elvis Andrews at negative 14.8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, none of that's very attractive. <laughs> the most Nobody attractive of the bunch is yeah, and then Segura clearly is, Brandon Crawford. Yeah. Um, Crawford, I mean, it's a one-year commitment, and the Giants likely willing to pay that contract down pretty significantly to get some sort of a prospect return. I mean, yeah. he's a sure glove. <laughs> yeah. I could see a team like the Reds taking a gamble there. Ahmed and Segura are a little bit trickier since they are three-year commitments. Yeah. Um, they do both provide more on-field value than Crawford would. Um, and Segura is not necessarily a true shortstop either. So. Yeah. Circling back to Ahmed Rosario for a moment. So, mm -hmm. um, so Jimenez beat him out last year of a job, the starting shortstop job, and he looked really good, especially defensively for the Mets. And so that's... You would think that he would win the Indian starting shortstop job, right? Which leaves Rosario sort of floating as a utility guy. They've got 
unless they trade Jose Ramirez, which we'll get into in a moment. Mm-hmm. They got him at third. They just signed Cesar Hernandez at second. So Rosario is becoming sort of their, you know, fifth infielder, uh, which maybe you could make a case that, you know, that's a waste of his talent if he's got still a little bit more upside. So you could see him as a trade candidate, and he's not making that much money, and he's got three years of control. So that could be an attractive target for one of these teams. Yeah, I do like that fit the more I think about it. Uh, both Rosario and Arcia, as you mentioned. I, I think Arcia's a little less reliable. I'm not sure he's necessarily the guy. If you're trying to contend, you say, all right, take over shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that Rosario is that guy either. Um, I don't yeah. know. The, they, the, they, the they've both here, been shaky. You know? yes. The but... point here is that might be the best <laughs> the teams can do. Exactly. <laughs> the market's pretty dry unless you're going to get really funky and play somebody out of position make some Willie Adonis right. trade or whatever. Right. Um, so so continuing on that front, let's just run through these last couple deals here. Um, we got through Andrelton Simmons. Padres re-signed Jurek some Profar. This one's a little bit strange, I felt. Uh, he gets three years, 21 million, um, and it's an opt-out after each of the first two seasons. And so the way I saw it described on Twitter was they're gambling $21 million that he'll be good in 2021. Yeah, right. Which seems bizarre <laughs> for a guy without a true position who isn't necessarily a slugger by any means, who really struggled in 2019 with Oakland. This one caught me off guard, and it's a real real head-scratcher. I don't, I don't know why they felt they needed to go to three years here. Yeah. You know what? He's fine on our model. We have his fair value at 20.2 so he's right there you know for three years um you know i think he settled in a little bit better and left it reminds me a little bit of loris gurdiel who couldn't find a home in the infield and they can and then he found a home and left but you know i think the padres are playing the depths game now they really obviously want to win a world series with all these moves they're making and you know you could say well where are they going to put him they'll find a bats for him and just the same when they signed kim and they already had Cronenworth at second. Somehow they're going to find at-bats for them. Maybe Cronenworth is going to move around just like Profar is going to move around. I don't know how they're going to work it out. Clearly, A.J. Pirlo loves Profar, though, from back in his Texas days. And he traded for him. And he gave him a... So, like, he's found a home there. But I will say this for Profar. He, he has really become a smart hitter. You know, he'll work an at-bat. He'll, 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 know, he'll take a walk. He'll get a big hit when he needs... You know, he's, he's really kind of come into his own a little bit at the plate, which is, I really think is, is the the uh, attraction here you know they'll, they'll stick him in left field but they really like his bat yeah i'll i'd say that uh i'll revise what i said earlier and say that the the 321 isn't necessarily what's what's raising my eyebrows here it's those opt-outs mm. um because the situation that it sets up is it, there's there's a couple options here either he's great in 2021 he's good he's great he's worth more than seven million in a, a year and he tests the market and whoops we just lost him or if he's bad, if he has struggles, again, where he's just kind of driving the ball directly into the ground, pulling it every time like he was in 2019, and the defense doesn't – it regresses in left field, and he's still kind of a huge question mark on the infield. Um, if that happens, then you're still on the hook for essentially a bench player without a position or much of a bat for $14 million over the next two years. Yeah. So I don't – seems like those opt-outs really raise the value of this contract in Profar's favor significantly. It's fair. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a fair point. Um, you know, 
Gosh, you know, when Preller loves somebody, he'll go a little overboard. <laughs> We've seen that, right? <laughs> yes, you can say that again. <laughs> well, well, we'll see how that works out. Um, similar versatile guy, uh, Enrique Hernandez to the Red Sox, two-year, $14 million deal. Uh, he mashes lefties. He plays great defense all over the field. And they were really searching for um, some infield help, given some of the uncertainty uncertainty would be putting it lightly <laughs> regarding Dustin Pedroia's situation there yeah and I've been I've been seeing some some chatter about what they're going to do about Dustin Pedroia because obviously he hasn't played in years and he needs yeah. to just retire you know obviously yeah but but now he's creating a, a problem for them um like the, obviously they're gonna have to eat the money one way or the other but the yeah. 40-man roster spot is now the issue like can they don't have room for him basically so how are they going to exit gracefully from that relationship is the question yeah you know? so you know from a PR standpoint and so on and maybe it's another sort of situation like David Wright a couple of years ago with the Mets where they say okay let's bring you in as a sort of a quote-unquote special advisor we'll do some meet yeah. and greets and so on but you know you're not playing anymore <laughs> we'll yeah. get you off at the this roster. point it's <laughs> They're kind of playing chicken here where the Red Sox really want him to just say, I, I got to hang it up. My body's yeah. not holding up and I'm retiring and they're no longer on the hook. And he really wants them to just say, all right, we'll release you. And then he can retire and exactly. he, that, get he, all the money. Rationally, he would not retire because then he would screw himself out of the money. So yeah. it's not his that's he's not going to make that call. So they have yeah. to make the call and say, look, we'll still pay you but we're taking you off the roster and we'll find something for you to do. So yeah. Or there's always the potential for some sort of a, a negotiation there, a buyout. It's been discussed a lot in recent years with a guy like Albert Pujols, where it's like, yeah. how much, how much do we have to pay you for you to retire? Kind of. A yeah. Thing. And then who knows <laughs> if there's insurance the money and maybe yeah. insurance can pay some of it, you know, we'll yeah. work something out. Yeah. But anyway, this is Enrique Hernandez. <laughs> yeah. Um, that seems like a, a pretty smart deal for them. I mean, even if it is, if, if it does end up being, you know, they're still kind of working through this rebuild, retool for the next couple of years, and he's more of a, a future trade piece. I mean, he's a guy that teams will always want, given his versatility mm -hmm. and the utility that he has of just crushing left-handed pitching. Yeah, which is the short side of the platoon, which is why he doesn't get more money. Yeah. Because if you're if you're left-handed, you'd get the the strong side of the platoon, maybe get a little bit better deal. But there's still a role for that, obviously. And so as you know, I think that's a smart move. I, I was thinking about it from the Dodgers' perspective, though, because he was such a sort of Swiss Army knife for them. That um, like, who are they going to use in that that role going forward? I mean, Gavin Lux has been knocking on the door and wanting some playing time. Is he going to be the new second baseman? Or are they going to try to move him around a little bit more? And I'm not sure what they're going to do. So they got Chris Taylor, obviously, in that role as well. And they love to, to kind of move guys around like that. So maybe they'll make it work. But I'm thinking maybe Lux is going to get his shot this year. He should have. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't last year. But and this seems like it's an opening, opening up a spot for him there. Yeah, there were significant defensive concerns with Lux, which mm -hmm. is why I'm a little bit hesitant to put him into that Hernandez role of, you know, they're going to move him around the diamond. I think for him, at least at this point right now, they probably want him to just here, learn this position, whether it's second base, shortstop, whatever, probably yeah. second base. Yeah, here, yeah. learn this position, figure it out, and then we'll kind of screw with things. A yeah. uh, name to watch there is probably Zach McKinstry. Yeah. He's been kind of an underrated, under-the-radar type prospect, but all he does is hit. Yeah. And he's got some versatility as well, so he might be their guy. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Okay, and then we already went pretty in-depth on Cesar Hernandez and Freddie Galvis. Um, so let's let's pivot to some pitching. Uh, the Nationals signed Brad Hand, and 
It's another one of these. <laughs> the Nationals love their deferrals. It's a $10.5 million <laughs> salary, yeah. but he gets $4 million of it in 2021, and the rest of it's deferred for the next three seasons. Um, the Nationals have been playing this game forever, it feels like now. They've mm-hmm. been doing this with Strasburg, with Scherzer. Um, I believe there's a couple other guys there. Did, did Jason Worth have deferrals? I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, but, but they got Brad Hand now. He's a pretty reliable left-handed reliever for them. Uh, he replaces Sean Doolittle, who really struggled in 2020. He had some injury velocity issues. Um, and Hand was very clearly the top available reliever left on the market after Hendricks and Yates fell off the board. Yeah. So <clears throat> this one, we I, we have Hand's fair value at 9.6. When you do the uh, math about you know factoring in the deferrals, his salary is more like 10.1. So you know it's very it's it's very close. So that. You know, I think that works out. It's interesting to me because um, no one wanted to pick him up for $10 million a couple months ago uh, when Cleveland declined his option. And um, so Hand got a $1 million buyout from that, and then he gets <laughs> 10.5 on the surface. So he makes out even better now because he gets, gets a total of 11.5. Um, call it 11.1 of, of present value money. Um, so he makes out a little bit better. So it, my point is, in the end, hand signs for roughly fair market value, um, but it's an indicator that you know at that point teams were more reluctant to spend because they didn't know what their budgets were. I guess their owners were sort of saying, "Hey, don't don't spend anything," and now it's become a little bit more clear that we're going to have somewhat of a season, and there's not it's not quite as bad as they thought. There's a little bit more clarity. Um, not to get into all those issues, but. They can make a deal like that, and even when they do that, they still have to defer some money and give him roughly fair value. So, um, so I think it's interesting from that point that it sort of circled back to about what it was in the first place, which was ten or so. So, yeah, everybody's yeah. okay with that, I think. Yeah, I think that's a point that a lot of people are missing is just that level of uncertainty when he was uh, waived, designated for assignment. It's not that all these teams suddenly realized, oh wait, now he is worth ten million. We should have taken him then. Darn. I'm sure there are some that wish they had, in retrospect, taken him then. But back then, there was just, we didn't know, we had no idea what the season would look like. We had no idea what COVID would do to our country over the months of November, December, January. Um, Had no idea if it would still look like, uh, we we didn't know much about the vaccine. We didn't know (laughs) what kind of season we would be looking at and what finances could be looking at, fans in the stands, all of that. Just so much uncertainty. Nobody was willing to risk $10 million there. Um, But now that we know a little bit more, now that a lot of the other dominoes have fallen, and especially with a creative deal like this, uh, the Nationals are willing to put it forward. Yeah, so I think it's an indicator that the market is, like we've said in the last couple of episodes, it started to normalize, and it's not as bad yeah. as we first thought. And it's, yeah. it's acting relatively normal. Like there's still some big contracts that are hard to move, some big deals that like Bauer's still out there that I'm not sure that's a whole other case. You know, Chris Bryant has been moved yet or whatever. But 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 the sort of, you know, the bottom hasn't fallen out. There's still guys getting deals. You know, the second base market has has really taken a haircut, but the rest of it looks pretty normal. Yeah, yeah. Especially I think I think pitching has been pretty reliable all off season long. I don't think yeah. there's anybody that's really gotten anything too unreasonable in either direction on the pitching side. Yeah. All right. On that note, let's pivot to Darren O'Day signing with the Yankees. Uh, he'll get 1.75 million in salary in 2021, 1.4 million player option for 2022. 
Um, it looks like it's one of those kind of, it looks like it's a mutual option here, actually, um, where it will mm. be, he can accept that player option. If he declines, then he gets a 700K buyout and the Yankees have a $3.15 million club option. So just an interesting little deal for an older, he's 38 years old now. Jesus, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. An older, consistently reliable reliever, though. I mean, 1.1 ERA last season. 16 and a third innings, five walks, 22 strikeouts for a guy that does he even hit 90 these days? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he's not gonna, our model doesn't like him all that much. We have his fair value at 0. 0.6, so it's a little bit of an overpay. It's mostly because he's 38, and you don't see a lot of – when you get up to that age level, it gets really spotty. Like, there's not a whole lot of data. Maybe there's a survivor bias that we should probably factor in. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it's not the worst. Uh, to your point, he has been very consistent. And if you look at his uh, win probability added, his WPA, he's been very positive pretty much every year, which is kind of carrying his value. So um, so that's good. So maybe, you know, they like him. You know, he's been, in other words, he's been pretty good in high leverage situations. He's not going to obviously be a closer, but you can put him in a seventh inning and he'll get the job done. So it's fine for that low price. And obviously they traded out of Vino to create some uh, budget room. And then they signed Darren O'Day for, you know, two-ish, well, one-ish something in, in this year's um, in this year's budget. So they've got some wiggle room now to spend a little bit more either on another reliever or perhaps bring back Gardner. And that way, yeah. you know, Cashman is finessing his budget. And it's, it's smart, I think. Yeah. Flipping Ottavino and a $1 million trade value prospect for O'Day and Gardner, if that's what yeah. this ends up being. It's yeah. just a much better fit for the Yankees roster. Yeah, right. Um, I pulled it up. Uh, what what would you guess that O'Day's maximum fastball velocity in 2020 was? <laughs> 90? 88.2. <laughs> 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 but, hey, he gets the job done. There you go. <laughs> All right. On the other end of the spectrum, Red Sox signed Garrett Richards to a one-year $10 million deal. He throws a little bit harder than 88. Um, he's... <laughs> He's an interesting pickup for them because they obviously really needed rotation help. They still kind of do. Um, they're committing $10 million to him, which kind of gives you the impression that they want him in the rotation and they trust him in the rotation. Um, but the Padres had shifted him to the bullpen last season, and that's kind of where it's always seemed like he would end up long-term, especially after the injury issues. Um, he had kind of an up-and-down season in 2020, like some, some signs point to him being on the upswing some signs point to uh, i don't know about that yeah um but they're giving him 10 million guaranteed and then a 10 million dollar club option for 2022 it's not, i don't think it's an egregious overpay we have his fair value at 9 million um and i i, I take your point that the padres use him as bullpen a little bit i think that was mostly just because of the circumstances they were in with the short season in the playoffs and he was needs based yeah yeah, and, and he was coming back from injury, so they were kind of easing him in a bit. And so now I think the Red Sox are thinking, okay, well, he's a year removed from that. He's probably going to be healthier, and he's still got the upside. Um, so back in the day, back in 2014, he was a four-war pitcher, and then he's sort of fallen off from that. So, you know, the projection system don't think he's that anymore, nor do we. Um, Zips has him as 1.1, Steamer at 1.5, so he's a one-ish war pitcher. For yeah. 10 million which is about what starter pitchers get so it's not unreasonable 
yeah, he's just another factor in there. It seems like both the Red Sox and the Yankees are really going to be piecing their rotation work together this mm-hmm. season. It's going to be it's going to be a team effort. We might see ten or twelve guys start games for both of those teams. Mm-hmm. Okay, now a few really minor deals here. Uh, the Cubs signed Austin Romine, catcher, to a one point five million dollar major league contract. He'll be their backup since they traded Victor Caratini as part of the U Darvish trade to San Diego. And he's a veteran. He's 32. He's always been regarded as a pretty solid defender. Never done a whole lot with the bat. This doesn't necessarily, I mean, this means they have a certain experienced veteran if they do opt to trade Wilson Contreras, but right. it's not necessarily an indicator of, oh, look out, Contreras is on the move. It's, it's Austin Romine. But that's what everybody's thinking, right? Yes, oh, they're going to yes. trick Contreras now because they've got the backup already in place. So the insurance for him. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. You know, but, you yeah. know, he's, it's okay. He's I still a, think it's he's... very possible that they move Contreras. I think it's probably just as likely, if not more, that they wait until deadline or next offseason. They have some time with Contreras. They do. He's got two years um, of control, so they don't have to move him right now. Yeah. And Romine's just a, he's just a quality guy to have back there with what looks yeah. like it's going to be a pretty young pitching staff. Another catcher, Wilson Ramos to the Tigers, one year, $2 million. This one's a little bit weirder because he's never been regarded as much of a defensive uh, defensive backstop. He's also not been hitting well <laughs> in recent years, in 2020 specifically. Um, yeah. But it's an upside play. It's a cheap contract. They can flip him at the deadline if he's... That's what the Tigers have been doing the last couple of years. Signing yeah. in. And we talked about this during a rebuild. You kind of manage with like placeholder veterans. And if you get lucky, you can flip them. That's all this is. He's clearly in decline. He's 33 now. His bat has fallen off. And like you said, never meant to keep sense. But look, he's our model likes him a little bit because of his track record. He's 2.9 of fair value. They signed him for two. So maybe they get something out of him at the deadline. Yeah, their current catching core is Jake Rogers, who was lauded as a pretty solid prospect because of the glove. Hasn't really developed since then, but he still has a strong glove. Grayson Griner, who is 6'6", and that's all anybody needs to know about him. <laughs> and Dustin Garneau, who's floated around forever, it feels like. Career um, journeyman backup, yep. Yeah, so it seems like Wilson Ramos is going to get plenty of at-bats. <laughs> sure. And then Maybe last DH one, work, too, if, he, if right, his bat starts right. to heat up. Yeah. Right, giving giving Miguel Cabrera some off days. Yeah. Um, last one, Nationals re-signed Ryan Zimmerman. Everyone saw this coming. It was either Zimmerman retires or he goes back to the Nationals. One year, $1 million. He'll be a bench bat, maybe platoon. Mm-hmm. Not much to talk about here. Just wanted to at least mention it. No, we've talked about Josh Bell in the past. He's going to be their main first baseman, but there's been a lot of questions about him. He had a terrible 2020, and, you know, so maybe this is insurance for that just in case he totally falls off the map. So they've got yeah. a backup. Yeah, Zimmerman's at this point in his career, he's nothing more than an absolute, like, break glass in case of emergency type third baseman. Yeah. So he's he's not going to be any part of their solution there. He's he's the guy that you put there if everybody else is hurt or got ejected or whatever. <laughs> Can't you just see it? Like the Nationals, I think, are going for it one more year before they have to rebuild. Like I said yes. before, you know, it's last last year of Scherzer's contract. They're signing one-year deals because they're sort of milking it. Couldn't you just see it? They make the playoffs and they somehow get this heroic moment from Ryan Zimmerman, <laughs> and it's all it's a storybook ending. You know, I'm I'm just exactly. envisioning something like that. <laughs> If all it's going to cost you is a million dollars in a roster spot, you keep that guy around. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, so that's the end of our news for today. Plenty of it. Um, let's get into our trade of the week here. So this one's from user Baby Yoda. Um, 
I don't know about you, John, but I'm a fan of The Mandalorian, so I, I enjoy the username there. I haven't started um, it yet. My kids tell me about it. It's apparently quite good. So Do recommend it, it whether whether okay. you are necessarily into Star Wars or not, and this this goes for you viewers as well, whether you're big on Star Wars, just kind of casually like it, whatever. It's, it's good TV. Um, <laughs> that's besides the point. Uh, so this trade proposal here from user Baby Yoda uh, has Jose Ramirez, Braves infielder, 72.8 million in trade value, headed, or excuse me, excuse me, Cleveland infielder, uh, headed to the Braves in exchange for outfielder Drew Waters, 37.8 million, third baseman Austin Riley, 19.5 million, catcher Shea Langoliers, 16.6 million, and right-hand pitcher Jaciel De La Cruz, 5.2 million. So there's been plenty of buzz around Jose Ramirez, and there's been just as much buzz around the Braves' third base spot. It's a big question mark right now, and they've been pretty active, pretty aggressive this offseason with a lot of their other moves. And so you figure, do they have one of these in the tank? They have a big, big farm, a pretty crowded um, outfield situation long term. Do they make a move like this? I think this one I like a lot. I think it's a good fit on both sides, and it seems generally realistic. I mean, the Indians get a third base plug-in replacement in Riley, or he does have some outfield experience. They've had some real issues in the outfield, so maybe they do a trade like this, and they can put Ahmed Rosario at third base, or whatever they choose to do there, yeah. and use Riley in the outfield as kind of a long-term outfield solution. They also get Waters, who very high upside outfield uh, project kind of long-term for them. Mm -hmm. uh, Langoliers, who gives them some catching certainty. I know they have Bo Naylor, but no such thing as a catching prospect either, so mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to have more. And then a mm -hmm. live arm in Jaciel De La Cruz. And, I mean, Ramirez has tons of trade value because he's on a very, very affordable contract, and he's a superstar. <laughs> Make no mistakes there. Um, so this this would hurt the Braves for sure to make this deal. Um, it, it hurts them. It hurts them in, the, in terms of he doesn't come easy. He doesn't come cheap. But I think it's it's a trade worth making. Yeah, and I liked this one. I've seen a few on our boards. Yeah. Um, this one was a bit – I liked it because, A, it was a slight overpay, which I think is realistic in, in what Cleveland would demand if they're giving up Ramirez. Um, and it's a good return, as you pointed out. I, mean, I like Langoliers a lot. He's a defense-first catching prospect, which they like in Cleveland because they got yeah. you know, such an investment in their pitching. Um, he, I think he would harmonize well with them. And, and it kind of sprinkles around some other needs for them in the outfield and third base and so on. So I, I think it's a good sort of diverse enough package and a quality package in terms of um, – you know, both quality and quantity. So I like this one as well. So so do our users as well. At this moment, he's got 38 up votes, uh, 15 down. So it's a good ratio. Um, I do I do question whether this is realistic, though. I, we've seen some sort of shaky rumors about, oh, Braves and Indians are talking about Ramirez. I don't – I haven't seen it from any sort of reputable source yeah. yet, so I don't know yeah. if it's real. No offense to anybody who's floated that, but I just – you know, nobody – it's not coming from Passan or, or Rosenthal or any of these main guys, you know? So um, so I'll believe it when I see it. But it's fun to think about. And I thought that was yeah. at least worth putting up as a featured trade because a lot of people are, are you know. And, you know, after the Lindor trade, they're thinking, okay, Cleveland is just going to sort of, what's the next one to move? So maybe it's that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I think one of the other holdups here is that I, there wouldn't really be competition, I don't believe. And, and, I'll clarify this, but if, if the Indians, if Cleveland made um, Ramirez available in trade, I don't think 
there are a lot of teams that both have the level of need and the amount of prospect capital that the Braves do to make a deal like this happen. So I don't know if now is necessarily the time to do it. Just because if you're Cleveland, you want to have a bidding war for your superstar, your affordable superstar. And I don't think you're going to here. I think maybe if you wait a year, his value will drop because he'll get a year older. He's got a year less control, all of that. Um, But it creates a much more realistic trade environment where multiple teams can get involved. Yeah, it's possible. And we've seen this a few times. Like Luis Castillo was an example. Like his trade value is so high that in effect it becomes untradeable because like no one wants to pay that price. People are prospect hoarding, you know. So like, eh, you know, maybe if they wait a year, it'd be more realistic. So, um, you know, and I've seen some some speculation on Twitter that it would take, you know, a huge haul to get Ramirez. And and while I think that's true in spirit, I mean, people are out there making some crazy speculative like it's not going to take that much yeah. but you know because he's, he's not like making league minimum or anything he's he's you know it's still going to cost you some money in salary and stuff so i think our, our valuation here i mean obviously i'm biased but i think it's it's fair um so but i do think it's realistic that he would get a slight overpay so that's why i like this deal yeah i mean there's a lot of the, the names that people are throwing out primarily here are ian anderson and christian pache and so those two names they they line up kind of <laughs> in a deal like this um i'm pulling up the values right now uh we have yeah, they're, Pache they're at 67.9 and anderson at 65.4 so yeah. they're both just a little bit shy of ramirez uh but a, lo- a lot of the suggestions i've seen are oh it takes anderson plus waters and riley and lang and yeah yeah that's a little much <laughs> yeah um i I don't think I think a a deal if it, if it were to happen is much more likely to be structured like this one of one like kind of semi headliner a couple like really really solid secondary pieces and then a kind of lottery ticket esque we we just don't we've yeah. talked about this before we just don't see these trades of like these blossoming MLB stars like Anderson and Pache we don't see those guys get traded ever yeah. <laughs> anymore. And you- yeah, and you recall we had a little fun a few weeks ago with when Lindor was still being bandied about, and there were some crazy trades on respectable <laughs> outlets. Like we're giving them away the you know like all the like five different you know high like no, and that's yeah. not what it took to get him right. So people can go a little too nuts sometimes at first glance. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, definitely. And we we saw it the other direction with the Castillo conversations with, oh, I think uh, I think Frazier and Andujar will get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's not doing it either. So, hopefully, we're we're on the money here in terms of our estimate, and it's realistic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's our trade of the week. Um, thank you again, Baby Yoda, for the submission. If you would like to be featured on the trade of the week, just go ahead and submit all your favorite trade proposals to the trade boards. And if we find one that we like and that the rest of our community, the rest of our audience likes, then maybe we'll talk about it on the show. Um, we've gotten through the news. We've gotten through the trade of the week. We have. We don't have a necessarily a feature topic this week. We do have a couple of points that we want to hit on though before we wrap up the show. So uh, let's go ahead and let's start with the Orioles here. So the Orioles have made a few moves this off season. Uh, mostly minor moves. They flipped Jose Iglesias. They just re-signed Freddie Galvis, like we discussed earlier. Or not re-signed. They just picked up Freddie Galvis, yeah. like we discussed earlier. Um, but there is a little bit of buzz that they might be doing some more. So there was. A report that came out, I believe it was from The Athletic, about some arbitration shenanigans <laughs> that that Baltimore was getting involved in. And 
the sources that were quoted in that, I believe it was an agent that didn't represent either player, but saying, like, this is unheard of. I've never seen something like this before. And basically, you can correct me if I'm wrong, wrong John. I'm, I'm trying to remember this. Um, so it was, it was Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander, who are their two best offensive players right now, for sure. And Baltimore was trying to get them to defer their arbitration salaries, which is... Or defer a portion of their arbitration yeah. salaries, which is bizarre, and I've certainly never heard it before. Yeah, it's unprecedented. Um, yeah, and, and especially for two guys who aren't necessarily making huge exactly arbitration <clears throat> money here. It's not like we're not talking about Mookie Betts in his last year of arbitration. And it's like, geez, this twenty-five million hit or whatever is going to yeah. be tough for me. Can you take five of it next season? These are, I think the the grand total was like two or three million between the two players that they wanted to defer. Yeah, but that's just nuts, and and it sets a bad precedent. You know, why it are does. you pinching penalties that much? Um, and it, it it's no surprise also that Santander, I think I'm saying that right, and Mancini are also now getting a little buzz in trade, you know, chatter. Like Marlins expressed some interest in Santander. That's why we have a future trade up about that. Uh, Mancini is getting a little interest as well. Um, so, like, okay. They, like, we know the Orioles took a hit, as did every team, with, you know, in, especially in terms of gate revenue. Um, so, but man, it's really worse than we thought if they're trying to pinch pennies to that degree. Other speculation has said that maybe they're getting ready for a sale. You know, um, you know, they're Peter Angelos, I think, um, if I if I remember yes. correctly, is the yeah. owner, yeah. Um, is, you know, basically ceded control to his sons, and maybe the sons don't want to run the team, so now there's pe- people speculating that they're going to sell the team, and so maybe they're trying to cut costs as much as possible. That's total speculation. Like, I don't even want to go there. But there is some smoke going on here, you know, between that report and potential trade chatter. Like, the, what are the Orioles doing? So, you know, um, it's I wouldn't be surprised to see either of those guys moved is the answer in, in terms of our, our, our neck of the woods in terms of trade value. So that's why we're, we're keeping an eye on. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the types of players that might have more interest in a market like this one, um, since they are both in there. Well, Santander's in his first year of arbitration. Mancini's in his second. Mancini obviously coming off of the missed season uh, due to his battle with cancer. Yeah. Um, and so those are the types of players with those low salaries and the upside that they both have that are pretty interesting on this market. I think if I were to make an entire market observation from this offseason, it's that the teams, a lot of teams were seem to have been unaffected. <clears throat> or, I don't know if unaffected is the right word, but they've continued as if everything is normal. I'm talking the Yankees, the Blue Jays, um, the Padres, these teams have continue, continue to put money on the table. And if you just looked at their moves this offseason, you wouldn't have been able to tell me that 2020 was weird and short and pandemic and no fans and all that. However, it seems like the teams who did suffer, suffered big time. It seemed like all these teams who are getting hit hard by by the 2020 shortening and everything. It's not just like, oh, we're getting our payroll lowered from 90 million to 80 million or something like that. It's like we're looking for every nickel and dime we can exactly. find on the ground. And that seems like the A's. Yeah. Um, that might be a team like the Rays, who I don't think they've added any significant money at all this offseason. They traded Snell's contract. Mm-hmm. Um, the Orioles here that we're getting to, Cleveland, 
Reds. And so, yes, Reds for sure. And a lot of these teams just haven't <laughs> done anything to add to their current teams, despite looking at Cleveland and the Reds and Oakland and seeing that they're in a position of contention where it's like a couple moves here and you're a favorite in your division, if not more. Yeah. I so, mean, it's, it's, I think it's a sadder story to be honest with teams that have been contending yes. you know, like Oakland, like Cincinnati, and they're not doing anything because budget's taking priority. Yes. It's, it's a little bit more understandable, although not pretty for Baltimore. Cause you're not, you know, they're totally rebuilding anyway, so they don't really need yeah. Mancini or Santander. So, you know, but I don't like the penny, penny pinching in the arbitration salary. That's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't it's... be surprised to see them move. That's all I'm getting at. I'd call it a bit more disappointing, honestly, for a team like the Orioles, because at least uh, with, with Cleveland and Oakland in particular, it kind of felt like there was a bubble that was waiting to pop there. Mm-hmm. They were both running payrolls consistently above where they typically do because they were in this contention mm-hmm. mode, and you felt like, okay, at some point here, it's going to pop. They're not going to be able to re-sign everybody, hang on to everybody. At some point, they got to get their payroll back where their owners want it, and that just happened to coincide with the pandemic and so that'll yeah that kind of made it even larger and yeah. so these teams are even more cut dry not spending any money versus a team like the orioles where they haven't spent any money for years now i mean there's the chris davis contract the alex cobb contract they got kind of stuck with but otherwise they're not out here signing yeah any kind of free agents or making any kind of big salary trades and so you'd figure that i mean granted with that they had lower gate sales because their team was garbage and nobody wanted to go watch them but you'd figure that they'd they'd have a little bit more money in the tank because i mean we're coming up on the point where they would have expected to okay maybe not 2021 but 22 23 that's when they're trying to hope their window is opening up and they're getting ready to contend again and you have to spend money to capitalize on that window opening up Uh, but instead it seems like they're still really pinching pennies so it's a definitely disappointing and it's especially disappointing the two players that we're talking about here where Santander is really the next big thing in Baltimore not necessarily from a baseball standpoint of oh he's this blossoming superstar but he just had a breakout season I wouldn't call him a fan favorite but he's a player that Orioles fans are really excited about and then Mancini who is definitely a fan favorite he's I'd, I don't have it in front of me, but I'd, I'd wager he's the longest tendered uh, Baltimore Oriole outside of Chris Davis at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, you're probably right. And they loved him on the field, and then Baltimore had his back through his whole cancer diagnosis and his battle there, and there's a really strong connection there. And now in response to, to Mancini fighting cancer for a year, his team goes up to him and says, hey, can you take a discount? Yeah. Uh, that's ugly. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, well, we'll keep an eye on those two situations and see if either one gets flipped. Yeah. Kind of on the other end of the spectrum here, um, let's talk about Chris Bryant. So it seemed like um, the Blue Jays, we've discussed before, they were in on everyone. <laughs> and one mm-hmm. of those players they were in on was Bryant. And it seems like now that they've added Semyon, it's almost a guarantee that both from a payroll and from a infield perspective, from a positional fit perspective, there's no room for Chris Bryant on that team. Yeah. And at, s- there weren't necessarily 
a whole lot of other suitors available. I mean, you bring up the Washington Nationals, who I they've always seemed like the most natural fit to me, but they just keep spending on other players. Mm-hmm. And so I have their payroll pulled up from SpotTrack here, and they have $175 million in commitments for 2021, and their luxury tax space, so their luxury tax total is um, $193 million. So they only have about 16 mil in space there, 16, 17 mil, and that's right around what Bryant's making for 2020. He's making actually 19-something. I'll look it up. Um, yeah, he got a light, slightly 19 higher. 19.5. slight, which was, uh, we'd estimated at 18.6 back. So he's actually um, even more expensive than we thought he would be, which lowered his trade value a little bit. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, like, where are you going to put him? Who's going to take him at that salary? Yeah. There's, yeah. you know, we talked about the musical chairs game with Schwartzel earlier, but now I can't, I can't find a team. I mean, he's been rumored about the Mets and the Dodgers. Obviously, the Met, the Dodgers still need a third baseman, but you get the feeling they're going to work it out with Justin Turner. It's yeah. just a negotiation yeah. thing. And why would they pay 19.5, possibly plus, plus a little bit of prospect capital to Chicago for one year? When they could probably get t- Turner, I'm guessing, I'm just throwing a number out there, 15, maybe less per year for two years. You know, that's what they're thinking. Um, it, you know, so where's Brian going to go? We talked about the Braves and, and maybe a potential Jose Ramirez trade, but the Braves, you know, they will splurge once in a while on a one-year guy. They did it with Josh Donaldson. They did it with Cole Hamels. You know, maybe they can... Marcelo Zuna. Exactly. So maybe you could think, okay, maybe that's a spot. Um but, you know, it seems about, but, but I think what we're getting at here is the the window is closing for the Cubs to trade Bryant. When we're not finding a whole lot of teams that will A, take on the budget, or B, have a fit because Toronto's door just closed. So, yeah, I don't know where he's going. Yeah, so I, I pulled up the Fangraphs death charts here at third base. And for the teams listed under two wins projected at the position, you got the Rays. They're not adding Chris Bryant. No. Uh, the Mets. You mentioned they could get creative here. I think right now their focus is extending Lindor and finding a lefty for their bullpen. Uh, so maybe maybe he's down their list somewhere, but that doesn't feel like a natural fit to me either, just mm-hmm. given how much they've already spent here. Uh, the Royals don't want anything to do with him. <laughs> the Braves, you mentioned. The Cardinals are crying poor as well. They're mm-hmm. not. I don't expect them to make a big splash. Orioles, nope. Dodgers, yeah. I agree. Justin Turner is the best fit there, and I'd be very surprised if he went anywhere else, especially at this mm-hmm. point in the offseason. D-backs, probably not looking to spend that kind of money. Nope. Giants, same deal. I mean, I guess... I think we've been waiting for a while for the Giants to make that big aggressive spender move of either signing a Bryce Harper type back when he was a free agent or trading for a Lindor or a Bryant and extending them. So maybe they have that little bit of dark horse in there where they could be a candidate here. Um... And then you got Tigers, no. <laughs> Nationals, we discussed. Brewers, who they've been kind of looking at the infield market, but I think their finances are pretty, pretty tight, too. Yeah. Um, and then the Rangers, who... No. Uh, <laughs> the Rangers just kind of... Yeah. They're the Rangers. Um, so yeah, it's there's, like... not, there's no clear fit there. There's a couple maybes and a couple yeah. like long shots, and that's <clears> it. Exactly. So maybe Dodgers, maybe Braves long shot giants that's about it <laughs> and and when you're looking at a guy like bryant who already has a weak market from a value perspective mm-hmm. and then you factor in a weak market from a fit perspective mm-hmm. the 
Cubs wouldn't get much of anything. It's almost a pure salary dump at that point, unless they're eating significant salary, which I don't think they're excited to do either. Right. So, so it you might know, be more of a sit and wait kind of situation. See if teams get desperate if there's injuries or something at the deadline. And at that point, though, it's interesting because if they hold on to Bryant, they could QO him and get a draft pick if he declines, right? So they're thinking in the back of their minds, well, at least we'll get a draft pick. He won't walk for nothing. But if they trade him at the deadline, they won't. Now, obviously, it depends on what kind of season he's having at that point. Maybe they can get a little bit more value out of him than than a draft pick would be because at that point he'll be owed less money for the last two months of the season. So yeah. maybe you can make that argument that he's worth keeping around, but they may have no choice at this point because I don't, I don't. It's hard to see a fit anywhere. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit to not understanding the full details of the CBA and exactly how. I mean, nobody knows how that's going to go next year, but um, the, is there is there a possibility that uh, the qualifying offer gets changed and they get a different return than they currently would for Bryant? If he signs elsewhere, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure when the uh, yeah no I when the, no, when the would, cutoff date for that it, is. it would be on a go forward basis. So everything I've read said so that wouldn't affect 2021, okay. right? So okay. they would still offer him a uh, issue him a QO and they took it the draft pick, and then the CBA would kick in after gotcha. that point. Gotcha. All right, so that's that's not necessarily consideration right. here then. Um, but yeah, it's it's an unfortunate situation all around. I mean, the Cubs kind of backed themselves into a corner here, kind of were backed into a corner here by a lot of things, especially mm-hmm. including Bryant's poorly timed <laughs> uh, bad season in 2020. Yeah. Um, but between that, between the grievance um, situation there where there was at least a chance that he had an additional year of control, or one, one year less of control, excuse me. Um, it, yeah, they just... They, they ended up in, in a real poor situation here, and it seems like the best that they'll get is either kind of a salary dump and a lottery ticket now, or maybe a little more at the deadline, maybe nothing, and you just hold them for the draft pick. Yeah. That's it? <sighs> it's a bummer. It's a bummer of a note to end the episode on, but I mean, well, we're likely to see some more activity, as we discussed, in the upcoming weeks. Um, from all of those signings that we just mentioned, there's going to be plenty of 40-man uh, shuffling that happens players that need to be cut some situations it'll just be okay let's wave the 40th man on here other situations it'll be okay let's make a corresponding trade to kind of sort out our roster a little bit more so we'll see what happens there um still plenty of top free agents left on the market bowers the big one i don't anticipate him signing in the next week but a handful of other names to keep an eye on the marcelo zunas of the world Mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm definitely expecting another busy episode next week sounds good All right, so that'll do it for us. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast through whichever provider you're choosing to use. We'll be back in a couple weeks, or next week actually, to break down more off-season news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the off-season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.